0: Giants fans and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Today's show is going to feature an interview with Daniel Wallach, legal analyst for The Athletic, as we try to uh, understand more about the legal situation facing New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker. First, though, I wanted to uh, to discuss a couple of things, just mention a couple of things. Today, Tuesday, May 19th, is the day that some NFL facilities will begin to reopen to some employees, I believe also to uh, injured players who are rehabbing uh, you know, from, from surgeries or, or 2019 injuries, not, however, to coaching staffs. Uh, and also, uh, the uh, as we know, the, the New York Giants will not be among the teams opening their facilities today, stay-at-home order still in place in New Jersey for the most part. So the, the Giants will not be among those teams. I believe the way that this works is that NFL facilities will not open to coaching staffs and to full rosters until such time as all states are open and all coaching staffs are able to uh, to work in the facilities. So, a little bit of of movement toward uh, toward reopening, but uh the Giants won't be participating, but uh, you know, we we hope we cross our fingers that there will be uh an on-time start to the 2020 season. And this looks like a small first step toward hopefully moving in that direction couple of, of Big Blue View notes that I wanted to mention before we get to, to my interview with Daniel Wallach. I uh, just wanted to mention that that uh, throughout the offseason here, we are running through our our list of player profiles that we do annually, looking at each and every player on the 2020 NF Giants uh, 90-man roster that they'll bring to, to training camp whenever that begins. Also, something else to look for, Giants fans is our annual summer school series that should be starting up pretty soon we're pretty excited about what we have uh, lined up for you uh, for you this summer so hopefully uh hopefully you'll read that look forward to that uh, we try the, the best we can to uh, to educate you guys about uh you know various things, not only with the Giants, but but football in general. So hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody enjoys those and you learn some things from those. I know I do each and every each and every year. I, I learn a few things as we as we go through that series. So please look for that. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. All right, Giants fans, let's uh, let's do this. Let's get right to the interview that I did with Daniel Wallach, legal analyst for the Athletic. All right, Giants fans, as we all struggle to sort of understand what's going on with uh, the DeAndre Baker legal situation, I thought I would seek some help on the matter. And uh, what I've done here today for you is I've turned to Daniel Wallach, who is the legal analyst for The Athletic. Daniel joins us now. Daniel, thank you very, very much for for coming on and, and helping us try to understand all of this.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me on uh, Big Blue View. I've been a fan for a long time, so this is an honor.
0: And you are, you, I think you told me off the, off the air, you're based in Florida, but uh, you're originally a, a Jersey or New York, New Jersey kid, so uh, and grew up a Giants fan?
1: That's right. Queens, Long Island, Manhattan, I lived in all three places. And I, I, I date my Giants fandom all the way back to the 1970 season, when George Allen's Los Angeles Rams knocked the Giants out of the playoffs on the final day of the regular season. I think they got blown out 31 to 3. And I remember that vividly because that was a home game at Yankee Stadium and had the Giants won that game they'd be in the playoffs and it would be another 11 years before the Giants tasted the playoffs again.
0: Ouch, ouch, ouch. We you know we're, we're, we 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 That's we don't right. want to talk we don't want to talk about those wilderness years. You know Hawkinson, <laughs> uh,
1: Alex Webster,
0: oh my Obastelli. Ah, the old days. <laughs> back back in the day when I used to sit on the sit on the couch, watch Giants games with my father, and uh, he would he would make it until halftime until he just got disgusted and frustrated and went off to put her around in the garage.
1: They had some teams. They had Ron Johnson,
0: mm-hmm. Fred Dreyer.
1: From you know TV fame was the number one draft pick for the Giants in
0: 1969,
1: and he excelled on that 1970 team. And then they, they just up and traded him,
0: and he became a you know great player for the Rams. Yes, he did. So we could talk Giants history all day, Daniel. But let's talk about <laughs> we we could we could no doubt about it. Let's talk about about DeAndre Baker and, and what's going on here. I mean, my first, my first question for you is, can you just explain, um, you know, he's facing eight counts, and I believe they're all felony counts, four armed robbery counts, four, I think, aggravated assault with a firearm. Those, do those in, under Florida law, do they each carry a, a 10-year mandatory sentence, you know, if he's convicted, or how does that, how does the? how does that work? Well,
1: I mean, I'm not an expert on Florida criminal defense law, but generally, uh, charges like that, if they stick and he's convicted, the sentences will run, you know, concurrently rather than consecutively. So instead of serving, you know, 10 years times five convictions equal 50 years, it's probably he'll serve. He would serve the maximum if he was convicted of the highest count. But in reality, those are just going to run concurrently. But you know, it hasn't even gone to a trial. Uh, we're a long way away from that, but he's probably looking at concurrent sentencing rather than consecutive sentencing. But whether it's concurrent or consecutive, if he if he's convicted, uh, you're never going to see him on a
0: football field again. And at this point, you know, obviously we've we've heard the last couple of days what we've been hearing. You know, the, the narrative has kind of changed because we've really been hearing from the the defense lawyers. For DeAndre, um, in terms of uh, you know of proclaiming his his innocence and, and, and things like that, have you, and I guess you know my 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 first question along that line is I've seen in a couple of places the indication that perhaps the amount of bail might be an indication that 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 there's a weaker case you know, on the the side of the prosecution. Do you read anything into that, and might you agree with that?
1: Well, uh, in in New York, that might very well be the case, but in Florida, legal experts who practice in the area of criminal defense law tell me that that is not to be read as a a sort of a silver lining on on DeAndre Baker's case, Uh, that to read nothing into the $200,000 bail. I mean, at least superficially, when you consider that an athlete who received a near $6 million signing bonus is uh, released on $200,000 bail, that certainly suggests that the case might be weak. But that's not how it works in Florida. And I've been told by a number of different legal experts who specialize in that area uh, to read
0: nothing into that aspect of So, I mean, basically, it seems like the narrative the last couple of days has changed a little bit, but we should, you know, but that's mostly, I think, because we're hearing from the defense side at this point. So, you know, we we really shouldn't shouldn't read into, into any of this that, that maybe there's more optimism for his future than we might have thought a couple of days ago.
1: Well, well, there might be optimism for his future because um, Baker... And uh, Dunbar did, two, did one very smart thing. They retained effective counsel immediately, and then those lawyers began to pile up witness statements from every witness that was at the party that was willing to cooperate uh, to basically recant all of the testimony that they had given to the Miramar Police Department. So uh, the police department did a, you know, an initial interview of the witnesses at the party, and that was mentioned or referred to in the probable cause affidavit uh, that led to the arrest. And then the lawyers jump in right away and take statements to basically lock these witnesses into a position uh, to, be, to essentially recant the testimony that they gave to the police officers, and, and a sworn statement Uh, taken by a lawyer, is going to carry more weight than uh, an interview conducted by a police officer where where the witness didn't swear to it under oath. Uh, So the case against Baker and Dunbar has been compromised by virtue of how smooth and sharp that these lawyers were in getting in there right away to get the witnesses to change their stories. And it may be, it's a byproduct of two things the value of effective lawyering, and number two, I think this police department in Miramar, which is a relatively small city, um, didn't do a good enough job of locking these witnesses in, and their case may be cratered as a result. So I think I think the outlook does look much better today for DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar than it looked. Two days ago, I've never seen such a sudden turn of events in a criminal case in less than 48 hours. And I think the police may have overcharged and oversold this if the witnesses, you know, you know most recent statements are, are truthful.
0: So I want to go back to, to the one thing that caught my attention was that you said that the the statements at this point gathered by the defense lawyers might hold more weight than, than the uh, than the ones gathered by the police initially. I'm I'm a little bit surprised by that.
1: Well, I mean, it's a, it would be a crime to lie to a police officer, but I believe that the probable cause affidavit submitted to the court uh, was signed by the police officer as the affidavit giver. They call it the affidavit. Uh, the, the, the 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 signed sworn affidavit is given by the police officer based upon his recollection, uh, firsthand knowledge of the interviews that he conducted with the witnesses at this party. Well, you can can bet everything that these defense attorneys, on the other hand, took witness statements and had the witnesses swear to it under oath, uh, you know, in, in the presence of a notary public or under penalty of perjury. So, you know, if you're going to look at the value, Of what the witnesses told the police officer so uh i think the sworn testimony uh will undermine these witnesses credibility if they go back or try to revert back to the story that they gave to the police officers the night of the party of course the night of the party is the most contemporaneous recollection of the events in question and would tend to be uh the most reliable but but they're not sworn statements Although they may have signed a statement, uh, you know, I I don't know at this point, but certainly the lawyers took sworn testimony and and made sure that those statements uh, were under oath and sworn to. Uh, So that creates a problem for the Miramar Police Department's and the Broward County Sheriff's Office prosecution of these two players because the witness testimony that they're relying upon to, to convict these two players have now been compromised by virtue of the recantation of the testimony by all of these witnesses. You need to show, in order to to sustain or get a conviction in a criminal setting, you need proof beyond a reasonable doubt. This is not civil court where, where, the, where, the, where the plaintiff only needs to show it's more likely than not. You need to satisfy, as a prosecutor, a very high evidentiary threshold.
0: And when there are
1: witnesses who recanted their testimony, that almost negates proof beyond, it does negate proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Of course, a jury could choose to believe whichever of the two stories they want to believe, but certainly a sworn witness statement that's more recent in time carries a lot of weight.
0: And, you know, at this point, you know, obviously we know that, that, you know, Baker turned himself in, released on bond, all of that. What might we expect for a timeline on this? You know, whether it whether it goes to trial. What might we expect for, for a timeline as far as when this might get resolved?
1: Well, Ed, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and while large segments of Florida are reopening, um, the courts are you know holding you know virtual sessions, video video hearings. But there's no question about the fact that uh, the the timeline. On both criminal and civil cases have been have been elongated by virtue of the slowdown from the pandemic. So, if a criminal case against the defendant in a non-pandemic setting would take, you know, could take close to a year or longer to resolve, uh, I don't think we're looking at any resolution of, of, of these two, um, you know, criminal cases until at least after the 2020 regular season has concluded, if it ever does start on time and and, and take place. So, uh, short of a guilty plea, or a no contest plea, or the prosecution dropping the case entirely, were this to go to a trial in front of a jury, uh, the earliest it could potentially take place would be in 2021, if not 2022. So, um, I wouldn't expect any swift resolution of this matter unless the prosecution drops the case, or there's a, a guilty plea or a no contest plea, but the consequence of a guilty plea would be uh, to essentially give the National Football League ample cause to suspend the players for violating the personal conduct policy. So they've got to be wary of two different situations here. Number one, their priority is their their liberty and and being free. But after that, their, their careers and their ability to play football is also a paramount concern, because if they can't play football, well, they can't pay for their legal costs, and they won't be able to support themselves or their family. This is what they do for a living. They have a very short time in which to ply their trade. It's a three-and-a-half-year average NFL career. And if they're suspended or if they're convicted and, and, and are sentenced for some you know, lengthy period of time, they will never play football again. So there's a lot riding on the outcome here besides the criminal setting. This also has... Some immediate potential immediate repercussions with their availability in the National Football League because Roger Goodell doesn't have to wait until a Broward County jury hears this case. He could decide to place them on the exempt list right away, with pay, or alternatively, the NFL could conduct their own investigation and and bring forward a uh, you know a, a personal conduct policy violation proceeding and just act on the witness interviews views that are already available. The NFL can do its own, you know, parallel investigation. They have a little bit of evidence to go on right now, and that might be enough to justify suspending them, because under the NFL's collective bargaining agreement, the standard of proof isn't proof beyond a reasonable doubt. It's whether credible evidence exists to, you know, justify the imposition of a, of, a, of a suspension. Incredible evidence is as low a threshold as you'll ever get in the law. It just means that you need some evidence that these players committed the acts in question. And you already have the arresting officer's probable cause affidavit that recounts witness interviews, that place Baker at the scene of the crime, holding a gun threatening to shoot somebody. If Roger Goodell wanted to suspend DeAndre Baker solely on the basis of that police officer's probable cause affidavit, he has every right to do so under the new collective bargaining agreement because the National Football League Players Association basically gave away the store on on player discipline under the new CBA.
0: Uh, I'm glad you got into that because I was actually, I had read your piece on that that you did a while back in The Athletic, and I had wanted to get into that. So really, I guess in terms of of the 2020 season itself, you know, while we don't know what the Giants are going to do, it it sounds like it could it could well be out of their hands as to whether Baker even has an opportunity to play for them this coming season.
1: It is entirely out of their hands. Uh, the team could. To decide to part ways with Baker or to place him on some kind of, you know, inactive list. The team does have remedies, but in all likelihood, the National Football League will be making the initial determination as to whether Baker can play a game for the Giants this season. And unless the prosecutors drop the case entirely, I don't see that there's any way that Baker will be playing a National Football League game in 2020 while there are felony gun charges hanging over his head. I think I think Goodell would place him on the commissioner's exempt list at the earliest possible stage. While the criminal case is still going on, it would at least ensure that Baker gets paid his full salary. But it would be a black eye for the league to have a player who's facing felony gun charges suit up for a National Football League game. Roger Goodell will never let that happen. So. Unless these charges are dropped, I wouldn't expect to see Baker in, a line, in the lineup. Uh, he might be in a police lineup, but he won't be in an NFL or a Giants lineup while these felony charges are hanging in the air because he'll likely be placed on the exempt list uh, at the earliest possible juncture.
0: All right, Daniel. Hey, really appreciate your helping us try to understand what's going on here. Not a subject that, uh, that any of us likes talking about here on uh... – on Big Blue View Radio, or on any sports uh, programming, to be honest, but but one that we uh, we really need to understand, as it does impact what the what the 2020 Giants are going to look like. So, really appreciate your time, and uh, thank you very 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 much for coming on. That's our show for today, Giants fans. Hope you learned some things as we spoke to Daniel Wallach, legal analyst for The Athletic, about the ongoing legal situation involving Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker. We thank you as always for listening. Remind you to please subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Join the community at bigblueview.com. Check us out on Instagram at big underscore blue underscore view. Check us out on Facebook. And uh, always, as always, please you know be safe out there and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.